You're listening to the Games Industry Doctors podcast. I'm James Batchelor and I'm joined this week by Hayden Taylor and Marie Jalisandri. We're going to talk about some of the biggest stories of the week, and we've got loads to be discussing this week. It has been a busy week. We're going to start with Riot Games. Now, reports emerged earlier this week that the class action gender discrimination lawsuit that the League of Legends developer uh, is facing from various uh, former and current staff could pay out $400 million, not $10 million, as was previously claimed. Hayden, you've dug a little bit deeper on this. <laughs> this whole thing is just such a hot mess, by the way. Um, yeah, I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been digging through this, and it's it's hard to really come down one way or the other on kind of what the ruling could really be, because, I mean, I've, I've been digging through the court documents today, and it's a lot of, like... It's 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 varying quite close to like he said, she said. There's one US government agency, the Department of Fair Employment and Housing, which has suggested that Riot Games has basically colluded with the plaintiff's legal counsel in order to minimise the amount of money it might have to pay out in a settlement. And the way the uh, DFEH has suggested that it's uh, Riot Games has gone about this is by... Um, sort of brokering side deals, um, doing a reverse auction to try and get the the legal counsel who is perhaps least qualified and least capable of getting a big sum out of out of the out of the company. Um, and it also just makes a lot of sort of claims around like the quality of the methodology and the nature of um or oh, sorry, the uh yeah, the quality of the methodology and kind of the 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 amount of evidence which has been brought forward. Um, the whole thing is quite massive and messy, and the DFEH is making a, a lot of claims. I've distilled them down into in the article that which has just gone up on the site, because like there's there's so much to kind of go over. Um, I've had to try and keep it down to like the bare bones for it to make any any remote sense. But ultimately, Riot is saying that just none of this is true. Um, you know, which, which you would expect. The the point that DFHE uh, makes that. Um, Riot Games was complicit in a reverse auction. That's the one thing which doesn't appear to hold much water, and that makes me really kind of question the DFHE on this one. Because um, Riot, Riot Games claims that the only legal counsel to put forward a suit in this matter was the one which the plaintiffs went with, and so there was no sort of possibility that there could be any reverse auctioneering or brokering or manipulation in order to get the counsel that Riot wanted to face. Um, so that's a little bit sort of flimsy. I think based on that, I think Riot's possibly right. But if you want to get real tinfoil hat for a moment. I, 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 do, I do believe that it's totally possible. Um, I do absolutely believe that Riot Games could well have colluded, but... There's there's very little evidence to suggest that, and that really is like tinfoil hat conspiracy theory. Um, as I was going through, and there's not really a huge amount of evidence to support it either way, if I'm completely honest. But the thing that's kind of most interesting, really, is is this claim that they could be entitled to 400 million as opposed to 10 million, and that ultimately comes down to, um, I believe, the DFHD. F-E-H, it's a difficult acronym that one, basically arguing that uh, stock or equity compensation was not included in the 10 million figure, and when you include that, um, that actually brings the figure up to 400 million, so that that side of it could hold some water, <coughs> um, but we won't really know anything until kind of early February, uh, late January, where a little bit more information should be coming out on what the court's decision is on this. As you kind of say, Hayden, it all kind of it's very he said, she said, but the the DFEH's claims don't sound outside the realms of possibility in terms of, yes, League of Legends is one of the most lucrative games on the market. It is the one of the biggest esports titles. It is what it's certainly one of the biggest um, MOBAs uh, in its you know in this kind of genre. So, yeah, when you when you factor in kind of equity and shares and stock and all these other things, the you know, the the potential. The potential compensation for the for those filing the lawsuit could be considerably higher. Equally, given the number of claims Riot Games is facing and has been facing over the years, in terms of because this all kind of um, 
stems from the 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 reports of toxicity and the very kind of bro culture and the sexual harassment and all of this, this kind of inequality within the studio itself um the number of claims that came out around that you can imagine a number of people have been affected by this are getting in on this lawsuit i i, I forget how many people are involved in this lawsuit but i understand it's quite a i few. think it's around 1000 um, isn't you, it hayden i think you yeah, yeah, I believe it's a thousand. Okay, well, so more than quite a few then. But that's, <laughs> yeah. the, but, but that's the point. Like, you can see that. Right, okay, Riot Games facing a thousand former and current staff taking legal action against the problems systemic within its own working environment. You can see them trying to minimise the payout because if they do have to pay out four hundred million, as much as League of Legends, yeah, you know, makes makes them enough that they could afford that. That's not the sort of hit that any company can kind of come from, particularly with all these new projects that they're trying to do with you know, Legends of Ruterra, um, the weird arena shooter thing that's not uh, League of Legends, <laughs> the League of Legends. Uh, do you know what? I lost track of how many things they announced yeah. back in October. I, th- I think it's like six separate projects and the newly announced board game division as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they, They've got all these things they're trying to expand beyond League of Legends, which has carried them brilliantly for the first 10 years, but now they're thinking about the next 10 years, taking a $400 million hit at the start of this next decade. Not the best way to, to kind of fortify your future. There's like... So I can I can ima- I can see the motivation. Yeah, yeah. Part of me is wondering how uh, many of those announcements have been like maybe announced a bit earlier than they would like, just because it like <laughs> serves as a distraction from the lucid. But that would be I don't know. That's just me in my head. It's the tinfoil hat all over again. Um, but yeah, I can't I can't actually wait to see the result of this um, of this whole mess. Uh, to be honest, because that sets some very interesting precedent as well. Uh, on how companies um, can uh, uh, like have to face the consequence of this bro culture, this toxicity uh, in their um, in their culture, and th- this whole case has kind of become a bit of a poster child. Is that the right expression for this context? I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, th- I think it kind of has. It's it's been it's been without a doubt the most high profile and the most sort of damaging to Riot's reputation. Um, and I think it's it's definitely the one that's kind of just garnered the most attention all round. As sort of as far as I'm I'm not familiar with. I mean, there was a there was a few like Quantic Dream mm. got in a bit of trouble that's recently, true. and there was a, I think they ended up I think they had to pay out a little bit of money, but that wasn't um, specific. That was about a very broad toxic culture or allegations of a very broad toxic culture this is this is really based in like gender discrimination um and one of the actual other points that's quite interesting about this is that the dfeh really argues that there's no um kind of enforceable injunctive relief around things like uh gender equality basically in in the preliminary settlement the one that's offering 10 million um, so the DFEH, DFEH is saying that you know there needs to be something that's like actually really enforceable about what you're going to do um, to ensure that this issue is sort of tackled because it's a it's a systemic problem. Um, and Riot's taken real issue with that because it's said that it's already done a lot of work um, and they've been very transparent about that. And Kotaku reported that employees found that you know the company has made real progress kind of in the last year um and so it it doesn't admit that the issue is systemic and it so therefore it doesn't feel the need to have actually kind of enforceable relief baked into any settlement agreement um but then <laughs> i mean also when you consider the fact that they've had to do all of these introduce all of these new sort of programs and initiatives and diversity and inclusion um in order to kind of tackle the problem that does imply that it is systemic so it's almost like they're tacitly admitting it without admitting it so that they don't then have to be legally bound to anything um which is a little bit kind of shady if you ask me and that that's primarily because it's like you know if if your intentions are genuinely pure and there's something you really really want to do then like i think you need to be more honest about it like it I feel like they're still trying to downplay it by saying well, that's not a systemic issue. It's like, well, I mean, h- how do you, how could you possibly argue that based on the evidence that is out there, and based on you know sort of first-hand accounts and and based on everything that you've done over the last year to try and fix it? Then say it's not a systemic issue. 
feels like a little bit dishonest, if you ask me. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I hope it really sets a precedent, as I said earlier, and encourages companies to, you know, actually address their gender pay gap and comply with that type of things. And also maybe encourage women to stand up and be like, hey, what about you pay me the same way you pay men at this company? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm curious to see what consequences it will have on the rest of the industry as well. Well, yeah, hopefully something. Hopefully. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll see. I think early, beginning of February, that's when we'll have a real clear indicator of, of what's actually going to happen. So I'll be waiting with bated breath. <laughs> <laughs> to, really, really looking forward to piling into an, another load of like court documents, uh, digging through it for a few hours. Elsewhere this week, id Studio have been doing various interviews uh, to build up promotion for Doom Eternal, which is coming out in March. Uh, originally, it was going to be coming out in November. It got delayed uh, to March 20th, and they've been talking about the effect of this. Our sister site, VG247, had a very interesting conversation with executive producer Marty Stratton, in which Marty essentially admitted, well, there's no essentially about it, did admit that a lot of crunch has been involved in the development of Doom Eternal. Now crunch involved in the development of a AAA game that's nothing new but it was just some of the wording here felt like it, it warranted bringing up the discussion again he said we were crunching pretty hard most of last year it goes in phases we'll have one group of people crunching so the next group of people are teed up properly as they get done they may need to crunch a little bit we really truly do try and be very respectful of people's times and lives but we have very dedicated people that just choose to work a lot in many cases it was nice because we want the game to be perfect we want to live it up to our expectations and consumer expectations now this was the point where it bothered me because he also said like elsewhere in the article that this is doom eternal is id studios best game ever I don't think I'd be able to say that if we didn't have that extra time. And he was going about how, like, the even when they had the delay, they, they pushed it back by four months. That took a bit of the steam and pressure off, but uh, some of the team opted to push it even harder to get even more just as tight as it can possibly be. And here we are again with a, a, a game working its, right, sorry, working its developers to death and then coming out and said, but look how wonderful it is as a result. And that's not the attitude we want to see. That's not how this industry progresses beyond this issue. And it is an issue. It's weird because I feel like delaying a game should be a reason. Should be You should be delaying a game to avoid crunch. Whereas in this case, it feels like they delayed the game to be able to crunch even more. It, it's a bit weird. Like yeah. I, I don't quite understand the logic here. It's the same with um, CD Projekt Red and Cyberpunk. They admit, like, they pushed yes. it back six months and then said, "Well, it is going to involve some crunching." I think it was. I, I saw someone on Twitter. I think it was Simon Roth said, "We now need to start um, defining the difference between crunch and a death march. Crunch is where you work intensely hard for a, a short period of time, but then once you reach the end of that period of time, everything eases up, everything is done, the project's complete, and everyone can relax and recover." Whereas a death march, which seems to have been what happened on Doom Eternal, is certainly what happened on Cyberpunk, is people crunch and crunch and crunch, and then the deadline gets pushed back so they can crunch and crunch even more. I know I'm not a developer. I know I don't fully understand like how complex these projects are, how difficult it is, and how high expectations are, and how difficult it is to meet those expectations. But this is not good. I don't know how else to yeah. say it. This is not good. <laughs> I think there's a lot of other ways it, it to is, say it. it is Sorry, go ahead. It is categorically, it is categorically not good. Um, the thing that's kind of just so maddening about it as well is that it's basically like they're just justifying it to themselves in yeah. this way that's kind of like a little bit sort of Stockholm syndrome mm. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, like, you know, I, I know I've know, I kind of been chained to my desk for six months and haven't been able to eat or see my family, but, like, look at look at the game. The game's really good. We've, we've made such a good game, guys. And it's like, I just... You know, like, th this this guy is, is talking kind of on behalf of the entire company, um, basically, when he's kind of saying this. You know, we want to live up to our expectations and consumer expectations. Um, and the idea of, you know, say we tr do try to be truly do try to be respectful of people's time and lives it's like well i think if you i feel like that's again that's dishonest because you can't 
say one thing and then do another and you, yeah you can't say you know oh yeah we respect people's time and lives but you know it's crunch and it, also this this idea that like it's kind of voluntary it kind of implies that it's voluntary you know people just want to work on it really hard they're really really proud of it and you know that that is almost certainly true there are probably some people there who who are really happy to put the hours in and really love doing it but like as we've discussed so many times before like crunch is a is a cultural issue like if you have a few people who crunch a few people who really overwork that creates unintentionally like an environment of kind of guilt because if you see your sort of team team members slaving away and you're like i'm gonna go home at five o'clock today that's that's kind of a hard thing i think for people to sit with because they feel bad and they feel like well maybe this person has to work so much harder because i'm going home to see my family or going home to sit in my pants and not be work be at work as is my right um so yeah it it feels this whole the 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 whole kind of tone of of this this statement and his comments is really like it makes it makes me feel like the industry kind of hasn't progressed over the last two or three years as this topic has really come up like it, it feels like comments from five mm. years ago it feels like comments that yeah. that, ex- that have existed in a vacuum and are completely oblivious to everything that has been discussed over the last few years it just hits all of the key notes and yeah i'm really not a fan yeah i completely <laughs> really really not really a fan. agree with the fact it feels like these are comments from five years ago and it feels like we're not progressing i mean i'm just gonna mainly repeat exactly what you said but i i do 100 agree with everything you just said so there's that but yeah i think we need we really need to stop using that it's a choice excuse like it is the manager's responsibilities to make sure the staff doesn't overwork and doesn't crunch and not doesn't like sacrifice their health for the sake of a perfect game like i understand the expectations etc etc but i don't think any video game is worth sacrificing your health but that's maybe that's just me and i I do think like some of those comments are quite they, they don't add up like you can't say we were crunching pretty hard most of the year and say oh but they were choosing to do that like i don't think a lot of people would actually choose to crunch for most of their year but maybe Maybe I could be wrong, to be honest. Like like James said, like <laughs> I'm not a developer. I, maybe I do not fully understand what it is. But I don't think I don't think that's a thing, Soz. <laughs> I I don't think I don't think most people are happy to crunch. There will always be a few people who like really who like to work really hard, you know. Um, and that that I don't say that as a good yeah. thing. Um, you know, there will there will always be people who will overwork themselves. And in my experience, like. You know, I've I've worked in environments before where you are the one who massively overworks yourself, where like you're the one who has mm. a lot of responsibility and you just kind of have to do it because you're short on resources or whatever. Um, but during those times, like I I tried, although I I'll admit like there were definitely times where I did kind of put a bit of extra pressure on people around me. So it's like, can you maybe just do a little bit extra? Um, but I did try and be like as respectful as possible to the fact that like a lot of this is my responsibility and so i just kind of have to be the one to do it um and th- this this whole to get kind of like high-minded here for a little bit what what this guy's basically talking about is like institutionalized oppression mm. it's it's where you, it's where you justify where it's it's basically it is, is institutionalized within within uh, its software by the sound of it like crunch is one of the the means of how they go about their day it's baked into the culture and as a result, it's kind of internally justified as like, well, this is how, this is what we need to do to get things done. Very much in the same way in this previous job that I had where I was kind of like, you know, basically driven mad by the amount of work I had to do. I very much justified it to myself as like, well, it has to be done. There's no other way to do it. Um, <laughs> and once after after this, when I was working in political campaigns and like after the election was over, I literally just took a month off and just stayed inside for a month and did nothing Um, because like the burnout in a situation like that is just extreme and the thing with that is even if you recoup that time even if they say hey you're owed a month off um, you know paid vacation like that's not time that's easy to enjoy because like the burnout is so real when you kind of if you've been working like 12 15 16 18 hour days for month for like weeks on end 
it's basically impossible to adjust to being a normal human being for several weeks after that. It takes a real kind of, at least in my experience, it takes a real kind of like monumental effort to kind of just become human again. So I, I just don't think it's really justifiable at all. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest that crunch actually protracts the process out, makes it take longer, massively negatively impacts people's mental health, is less productive and effective all o like overall there's you know the arguments in favor of crunch are just so few and far between that it, i don't know how any studio can kind of rationalize their way to a position where it's okay i kind of want to focus on two points one um marie is absolutely right in that managers should be stepping forward and i'd love to see more managers step forward and actually encourage staff to go home so look no leave this till tomorrow regardless of tight deadlines the risk of using a real world example rather than uh, video games i know i know video games exist in the real world but a non-games example my wife is a primary school teacher she previously worked at a school where it was a very intensive working environment the um it, it was a school that had a kind of an outstanding rating and worked really hard to get that, but it worked its staff really hard to get that. And I believe I think she was telling me that even the uh, the head teacher would kind of make a note of which um, which teachers went home like before, say, five o'clock. Even if those teachers were going home to do their marking and reports and all the stuff they were doing, if they went home before five o'clock, the kind of the head teacher kind of made a note about this sort of thing, particularly in the run up to an inspection. Whereas she is currently working at another school where come half four, the head teacher comes around and kicks all the staff out and tells them <laughs> to go home, which that that's the kind of attitude I'd like to see more within development studios. It's like, right, it is time to go. You've, you know, you've done your best. Go home, rest, come at this with a fresh, fresh approach tomorrow. I don't know how practical that is, given how much pressure it is, but that that ideally is what should be happening. It is on management to send even these passionate mm. people who just want to put in the extra hours. They're like, you know what? You want to put extra hours in? Take your laptop home and do it at home in your own time by your own choice. Perhaps. I don't know. That might be a solution. <laughs> Other point I want to make is it never helps that the, the, the terminology around this is always so vague. We were crunching pretty hard most of less, last year. <laughs> what is, is that an extra half an hour, an extra hour, an extra four hours? Is that every day? Is that weekends? Is that birthdays? Is that national holidays? Like, we don't know what that means. All that says is we worked pretty hard. Now, every now and then an extra few hours doesn't hurt. To use a, a, a example from my own like kind of uh, career, E3. E3 can be an intense week, even if you're not at E3. In fact, probably especially if you're not yeah. at E3. <laughs> I remember the years of when I went back, back in the day, <laughs> back in the day when, uh, get off my lawn, back in the day when it was like you'd have Microsoft on the Monday. Uh, I think it was like kind of five o'clock UK time. Then you'd have EA at seven, then Ubisoft at nine. Then you used to have to wait for Sony at 2 a.m. And then you're back in the office for half nine. I would do that. I would voluntarily sit up and watch all of these and help cover those conferences because A, I genuinely was interested in what was happening and B, I wanted to contribute to the team. It was by no means mandatory and it only happened that one 48-hour period, or not even that, 36-hour period. No, let's say 48. It was two working days. One 48-hour period every year. That was the most intense it ever got. Crunch, we, we hear the word crunch, we assume probably quite rightly that it is monday friday 6 a.m to 3 a.m the next morning like there, there's never any kind of clarification around this and i'm not saying that like you know, ideally vg247 could or whoever and ever talks to anyone about crunch can say well what do you mean by crunch how do you define crunch like because everyone has their own different definitions I'm not saying that as a as a get out clause where it's like, you know, maybe Doom's not Doom Eternal's idea of crunch isn't actually that hard. If you're saying the words crunching pretty hard most of last year, that sounds fucking terrible. But yeah, I, 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 it's it's always difficult in these situations to judge how punished the staff are when we don't know what that means. Yeah, it would, it would be quite nice to, yeah, have, no. to have, I mean, nice is obviously not the word here. It would be quite interesting uh, if a company could actually come forward and say, 
oh, here you go. That's what we mean when we say crunch. That means, I don't know, what you just said, 6 a.m. to 3 a.m. Or that means just a couple of hours more every night. Though I really doubt that's what it is. I would actually be genuinely curious to see what they mean by crunch. Because th- this definition can be widely different depending on which company we're talking to. Yeah. I don't think a company will ever nah. come forward and say, oh, yeah, look at how much we've crunched. Look look at how quantifiably how much we've crunched. <laughs> I think the only way we'll ever see a company say, this is how many hours we've crunched, is if they can also point to, like, okay, so look, we've been crunching like an extra two hours per day, Monday to Friday, for six months. But five years ago, we were doing an extra six hours per day, Monday, Mm. Friday, and Saturdays and Sundays. That is the only time you will ever have people crunch numbers. And even then, that will be a dangerous statement to come out with because people will still be going, yeah, but that's not what nine to five is it. That's still crunch. Oh, well. Well, maybe one day they will do nine to five and they will come come out with those figures being like, well, five years ago, we're doing six to three a.m. Look, we're better now. I don't know. Hopefully. Next up, I kind of want to talk about uh, Paradox Interactive. They're trialling something for Europa's Universalis 4, one of their many, many strategy games. Um, They are trialling a subscription model for all the DLC. Now, Paradox have come under a lot of fire over the last few years because they have a lot of DLC and expansions for their games. Crusader Kings, for example, has more than $300 worth of DLC, and that is a stat I took from last July, so it may be even more than that by now. The argument is that this makes it harder for new players to join in the game and enjoy the full experience or compete in online multiplayer matches because some people may have different packs than other people. Like it, it just becomes a mess of, well, there's so much, there's so many disparate kind of contact uh, content packs here and so much DLC. Where do I even start? I won't bother. I won't buy it. Their potential solution is a subscription model. You pay a monthly fee and you get access to all of the content for Europa's Universal Europa Universalis 4. That is as much detail as they have given. Um, they've said that because they're approaching this in a data-driven way, I say in air quotes, it means that they can't give the full details because it will it will, it will interfere with the test or something to do with that. Um, they haven't even said like kind of how much they're charging. They, the, the invites have gone out to a limited group of people. Though that group of people doesn't have to take part in this trial, they are just given the offer, and they're they're probably as much seeing how many people are interested as they are how much people are going to get out of it. Um, But based on this test, they'll then decide how much it costs. Um, They then they they posted about this on their forums, and they, I, I swear, like the the subscription model, which in my opinion is the more interesting thing here. This is a different, very different model, and we'll go on in a minute about kind of the different way subscriptions are used in the industry. This feels like a different way to use a subscription model, but the vast majority of the post was assuring people, no, we're not going to make DLC exclusive to uh, subscribers. No, you don't have to buy all your DLC again. No, this is not going to affect anything. No, you can still buy it. Like, And just kind of assuring long-term fans, like, look, everything's the same. We're just adding a new option. Um I'm intrigued by this because we've talked in the past about subscriptions and the the, the impact they may have on the uh, the industry in the future. We're obviously seeing things like Game Pass, which is a service, pay a monthly fee, you get a crap ton of titles per month that you can download, or you know, just a massive library of titles you can download however many you want. Um, Google Stadia will be a subscription. Um, there are various kind of... Uh, you know, there are obviously the Xbox Live and PSN um, subscriptions, where also PlayStation Plus, where that's just for the online uh, capability. But it, within that, you get discounts and you get bonus games that you can add to your collection. On mobile, there are a bunch of individual titles where you can subscribe and you get extra content, extra resources, whatever. Mario Kart Tour launched its own subscription. To my knowledge, this is the first time I've seen a kind of a a standard, if you will, standard title, kind of, right, here's a subscription to all of the content we have produced. Now, I grant you, not many titles have this as much DLC as Paradox's strategy games. <laughs> um, but it's just it's an interesting look at, like, it's another way that subscriptions could be used to continue monetizing a game after it has been released. 
I mean, it makes perfect sense to me with Paradox games. Like, uh, although I know Pad Paradox only publish City Skylines rather than develop it, there is a lot of DLC for City Skylines. Um, and I would maybe like to play some of it, but I do not know where to begin. I don't know which ones I want, which ones are good and bad. And often I think with a lot of this DLC, is like you don't necessarily want all of it um, at once. You want to kind of be able to maybe pick and choose which thing you want to bolt onto your game for a, a more customizable experience. So the idea of then, you know, spending like 15 quid or whatever for an expansion and spending, you know, 300 quid for these expansions and then kind of only using one or two, the ones that you like, maybe that's it's not a great not a great prospect for a, a purchase really is it so no, to me it true. makes it to me it makes a huge amount of sense i'd be interested to see how much they're charging um it because can't, it can't be more than say i don't know what would you pay for this fiver 10 it's going to be more than a fiver yeah, isn't it? i don't know how much their the dlc cost at the moment but i don't know it's often about 15 to yeah. 20 pounds i've seen a lot of like there's definitely how much uh, sort of some city skylines DLC is, and that's see, but that's the thing. If it, if it was say like nine ninety nine a month, within a year you've essentially paid off like what six different, well, six or seven different content. Well, I would packs assume there would be easily. a yearly like, fee that would be probably less than hmm. what you pay monthly. And, that uh, makes that sense, makes right? Sense, I mean, yeah. I have no idea what yeah. I'm saying, but I, I would assume so, please. <laughs> but quite likely, I'm right? Su- I'm surprised, or I wouldn't be surprised if. Um, EA did this with The Sims. Yes, I was going to mention that immediately. Because yeah, The Sims God, has so, a, yeah. so many expansions. But I wonder how it and would those work. those are expensive Yeah, they're well. super expensive, but I do wonder how that would work, though, because like, I, I don't play Paradox strategy games, but I have played, like, everyone has played a bit of The Sims, obviously. So, like, and their expansion is, like, I don't know, new furniture, new clothing, whatever. But why would the subscription... Like, I don't really understand how that would work for a game like The Sims, for instance, where you subscribe to a DLC uh, with new furniture. Do you keep the items you got through that DLC after the end of your subscription, if your subscription was a My month long? guess would no, be not. No, no, they would just mysteriously That's disappear weird. from your Caesar, Sims house. Because, like... <laughs> you just, you'd log in and your Sims would be walking around a desolate <laughs> living room... <laughs> Just wondering where all their stuff is gone. Like, staring up at the f- screen, staring up at the screen <laughs> at you, tapping its foot expectantly, saying, "Pay up again. I want my stuff back." <laughs> God, why did you take all of my furniture from me? <laughs> it's weird because I, I, I kind of love this subscription idea. To be honest, I think it, it would be a great fit in this case, and I'm quite happy to see Paradox experimenting with it. But and I'd be quite curious to see more publishers maybe embracing this model. But yeah, it raises some questions, such as. Yeah, that. Furniture and The Sims. <laughs> the thing that I find really interesting about this whole uh, sort of idea is it feels like we're coming full circle from the days of MMOs, mm. back when you had to subscribe to all your, all, like, your MMOs in order to play them, and they all slowly went free-to-play and microtransactions and stuff like that because the subscription model just wasn't working anymore. And now it's like we've come full circle and we're back applying it to new things that previously never would have even considered a subscription model for but i guess the the difference here is like so the subscription was back in the day the subscription for mmos was for access to the entire game this is subscription for access to add-on content for additional content so you can still play the base experience and still enjoy it but if you want to get more out of it but don't want to pay 300 dollars worth of uh, yeah for individual dlcs you can just pay and suddenly have access to everything i think i think this is an interesting model i think it is limited in terms of how many titles this could work for i don't think you could do say a subscription for call of duty and map packs unless they are planning on doing map packs for you know i think i think the first person shooter market has moved very distinctly away from map packs because of how much it divides your audience and actually yeah, exactly, makes a yeah. lesser experience. So. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But like, but say they were still like, just I'm using an example. Like, say they were <laughs> oh, yeah, still sure. doing. Say that. Okay, let's look at um, Star Wars. Good example of, like you say, like fragmenting your market. Um, mm-hmm. Star Wars Battlefront, the 2015 version. Um, EA did the whole season pass thing for individual DLCs you could buy individually or you know 60 quid for a season pass to get all four 
had they done a subscription model for that, it wouldn't have worked because obviously that that additional content stopped after six months to a year because they then moved mm. on to the next game. The same will be true of like say the Call of Duties within. To, I mean, each studio moves on to the next game within three mm. years. Like as soon as it is, yeah yeah they're on a three year development cycle at the moment. So as soon as a game is out, they might do some kind of post content, but then they're straight away working on the next game that they're going to be bring out in three years the difference here with paradox is i mean when did crusader kings come out like uh, these games have been going for five five to ten years and are still getting dlc only games that that have regular a regular cadence of add-ons for you know the much longer term those are the only ones that this model is going to work for but it Mm. could work for them yeah and the thing is even after the add-ons stop um and if they release the new game there will still be people who prefer the game that came before it you know who want to play crusaders king 2 as opposed to crusaders king 3 or whatever and they're probably willing to maybe keep on paying that regular subscription to sort of hold on to access to that content yeah but i I mean is there any indication as to whether is this going to be a paradox wide subscription or is it going to come down to individual so i think initially this sorry there's, uh, I, I think you actually wrote this story, James, didn't you? Because you mentioned, like, for its key titles, and then I looked it up, it sounded like it was for Europa Universalis 4. But I think it's like... It's yeah, just it's... they're trying it out on this specific titles, but I do think they c- could potentially um, apply it to all of their titles, right? Yeah. The, their titles are all quite similar, and they all apply to the same sort of uh, market. So the, the trial is, as you say, the trial is just for Europa Universalis 4. It is entirely possible that they were doing... They, they may do a mix of both. They may do, like, um, uh, an individual subscription for each title, but then a uh, bigger all-access subscription for all of the DLC on all of their titles. For because, you know, like, like, like I said, there's a lot of crossover between... The different uh, IP that they've got and the different, you know, the different communities for those games. There's a, there are people who play multiple Paradox titles, so that that also is a possibility. There is also a possibility they won't do this at all. The test could fail, and this yeah. could be just a, a moot point. But I, th- I think it's interesting we're seeing publishers in the the traditional space exploring subscriptions and not for a service like game pass but for a specific title or specific titles i'm interested to see who else plays around with this model toss a coin to your witcher oh valley of plenty oh valley of plenty oh toss a coin to your witcher oh valley of plenty Last point we want to kind of talk about is The Witcher, not the game, but the TV show, the uh, the Netflix series, the incredibly popular Netflix series. Um, have any of us watched it? Uh, nope. No. No. <laughs> no. We were- that that is that isn't out of that isn't out of lack of interest. That is out of lack of Netflix, and or, or specifically lack of money for Netflix, but. I've I've heard good things about this. Like certainly, my Twitter feed is full of it. I, I'm losing count of how many toss a coin memes I'm seeing. So it's kind of like it, it, it must by the extent by by the very notion that people are talking about it, it must be doing quite well. It's I mean it's definitely doing well. Like the Netflix CEO, I think, said that it was a, a real big hit for them. It's been renewed for a second season. There's now an anime in the works as well. You know, it's clearly like people like it. It's the I remember when it very first came out like the reviews for it slammed it quite hard um and then a lot of people i saw talking about i I think the best the best defense of it i saw was someone on social media saying like yeah yeah it's great when you rewatch it (laughs) kind of and the the the, the implication there was like it's not so great on the first time but on a second time yeah it's not bad i mean (laughs) and i kind of read that and i was just like and i i we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier like um I was I was just looking at it. It just looks so just grey and dour and just not very like exciting. And then Dring said earlier on Slack that it's got the tone of a Marvel movie, which made me even less likely to watch it because we all know there's only two good Marvel movies. <laughs> which are? That's Thor Ragnarok yes. and Guardians of the Galaxy Two. Um, I agree with that opinion. So yeah, oh, I'd... hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Avengers Assemble. No, don't. No, James. No, James, no, we no, know no, we don't no, have okay. you don't have good opinions about Marvel films because you said the other <laughs> Thor was better than Thor Ragnarok. Everyone knows that Thor Ragnarok is like in the top three. 
yeah, we're getting slightly off topic but, <laughs> but 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 kind of sorry the, the, the thing to kind of get yeah to kind of stick on my point was um like that's kind of why i haven't watched it like i i get that it's clearly been very successful There's, i hear a lot of people talking about it in the office and you see a lot of buzz on social media but i think that really speaks to kind of the power of the witcher brand um mm. And well, you say I, that, but that, that's the interesting thing here. The Witcher brand, primarily, so, so Rob Farhi wrote a, a column this week on The Witcher, and I'll be dipping in and out of that because he's got some cool points I kind of want to pull out. One of them was like, yeah, it, it, I think it's fairly safe, or he thinks it's fairly safe, and I agree with him, to say that The Witcher, in most markets around the world, is a games brand, despite the fact that it is based on a series of books. The series, oh, yeah, from what I've, from the way they've marketed it, the series is based on the series of books as well. So I find it, it it's interesting that, yeah, this is being held up as as an example of a, you know a games brand finally making it in the TV space, whereas technically it is based on books. And and Chris Dring, our publisher, was saying earlier in our, our team Slack that games people love the series because obviously it taps into all the things they love about the game but tv people apparently aren't as fussed on it so that popularity is largely well not largely a significant chunk of that 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 popularity is coming from the game space who are just delighted to see a live action adaptation of one of our properties not suck yeah that doesn't happen super often does it yeah, the thing with it is as well is like although it's based from what you were saying, it's based more on the books than the games. Like aesthetically, it takes a lot from the games. Like, yeah, the the games really defined the visual aesthetics of it. It's um, even got the bathtub scene. I saw. <laughs> oh, does it? Well, there we are then. It's it's basically just like hot meme bait. Okay, maybe I will um, watch it. And then. you know the. <laughs> <laughs> can make some dank memes afterwards <laughs> as the cool kids are doing so i'm informed um but yeah like it I, I think the witcher is although it is obviously a book first and foremost like i feel like it has outgrown that i feel like it is i, I think something that really demonstrates the fact that the the witcher brand is now sort of very much rooted in the game is you know three very successful games and the witcher 3 appeared on basically every single games of the decade mm. list that came out towards yeah. the end of last year like it is i think it's i think the witcher is profoundly okay it's fine but people like it is popular that is undeniable and it does do a lot of really good interesting stuff as a game series uh, but i i just think it's like a game that has captured the hearts and minds of people for like five years because i, I sort of the witcher 3 came out like 2015 you know it's still just an insanely popular game it's always people are still always talking about it they're all still making memes about it they're writing about it they just love it so i'm, I, I'm discovering it for my first uh, for the first time myself like i'm playing it on switch so as as we all insist yeah, exactly, on calling yeah. it i'm i'm playing the switcher as we <laughs> insist on calling it and i'm i'm loving it I, i'm genuinely like really hooked on it like um i'm i say really hooked i haven't had much of a chance to play it but like <laughs> but when i do i don't want to stop so i i can see the the appeal of the brand and the franchise and i certainly can see why it has, has been held up so much by by gamers and, and I, hmm. i'm looking forward to kind of delving further into it um i think there's a, there's a couple of factors here like um one is that like, i think it's it's convenient timing that the witcher has obviously come out at the tail end of the year when the final season of game of thrones mm. came out which disappointed yeah. <laughs> so many people like i think the people who need that game of thrones fix because that has been people's lives for about 10 years mm. um, yeah yeah I, okay not their entire lives but <laughs> but then and then here's this other dark fantasy that's like okay hopefully this one won't you know shatter our expectations <laughs> at the last minute so i'm intrigued to see how well how well it does in that the the main point i wanted to kind of bring this up um was in rob's column rob's column largely revolves around the idea that regardless of semantics as to whether or not this is a games franchise or a book franchise this potentially starts a wave of tv companies particularly as they're all moving to streaming services and they all need to bulk mm -hmm. up their catalog with appealing prominent well-known properties of tv companies tapping into games ip to make series Mm. On the one hand, I would love to see that. I would love to see more dramatised versions of video games. On the other hand, I can't think of many that that would actually suit. Because as much as video games are long enough... Cramming a video game, cramming a 10, 12, 15, 20 hour, 100 hour video game into a film, a la Uncharted, Bioshock and all those other films that have not actually come out, 
is difficult, hence those films not coming out. Like, it's difficult to, to condense that large an experience into so short a single, you know, a single viewing. I also think a lot of those films are made with a lot of cynicism. Um, yeah. And they're not, they're not necessarily made to be good. Well, that's the um, problem. It's like, this yeah. thing's popular. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, do, do you th- can, can you think of any... I was just kind of racking my brain to see what I thought might be possibly good TV shows to, from game adaptations. I mean... And, yeah, there aren't many that spring to mind as being potentially good i can i can almost guarantee there will be like an assassin's creed series at some point it'll be the most convoluted nonsensical and i I, I say that with love for assassin's creed but god please do not give (laughs) us any assassin's creed series i do not want it no one you seen the film no i do not want to see the film no i i I refuse (laughs) i can't I can't. It's just not possible. It, it, it's 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 not worth no. it. It's really not worth it. No, Assassin's Creed. Like it, it, it needs to be. It would need to be a, um, a game or a series of games that have a significantly deeper or meatier narrative. So not. I mean, not God of War. It's always going to be God of War. The answer to that question, right? Okay, like, sure. Let's just 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 give me a God of War series of film. Anything. Just but give I'm, me I'm, more God of War. Thank you. I'm also thinking of those those games where so much of the game is watching the story, not actually playing. Yeah. So anything by the Hideo Kojima. Norman Reedus' Haunted Hiking no. Holiday, and I still haven't played it. But Norman <laughs> Reedus' Haunted Hiking Holiday no. could make no. a good series. No. no. No, I, I can't. Just, I, I can't even talk about are. this game. I refuse. But, but my understanding. Yeah, but, okay, but but when but that game, your experience of that game. How much time did you spend watching it versus how much time well, did you spend playing it? So it was a, a shared um, gaming moment because I was playing with my other half. So he was mainly playing and I was mainly watching. But this entire game is mainly watching anyway, and and it's just yeah. Yes, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it would be. A great fit for a series and maybe it should have been that in the first place and not a video game that we wasted so much time trying to play and get frustrated about but yeah i'd rather not but i mean we know that Hideo kojima has plans for uh films and series right i think it did mention something yeah. along those lines right well but that's the thing he, he wants to, he wants to make films but his games are so much longer than films christ yeah. like I, I, i've ranted about this before i apologize but the end of metal gear solid the original metal gear solid and by that i mean from when you enter the the final boss room to the credit starting is an hour and a half within that hour and a half it's a five minute boss fight and a 10 minute car chase <laughs> so that is well over and I, genuinely I timed that that is well over an hour of content and that is just one section of the game he could not do a Metal Gear Solid movie the studio and the brands that I from reading this and the, the, that came to mind for me that I would be interested in I think could fit is Rockstar Games hmm. Red Dead Redemption and Grand Theft Auto now I'm saying yeah, that because sure. those stories are like Grand Theft Auto 5 I really enjoyed that that was a long long story of um, you know, reformed criminal or trying to be a reformed criminal, getting caught up in heists, and it wasn't like uh, there wasn't a clear kind of defined kind of third, fourth, you know, sorry, uh, first, second, and third act to me. It felt like just a long string of episodic things happening. Like you had each of the different heists, and then everything kind of escalates. That could have been a series, or perhaps a couple of series. In between all the cutscenes and the different action set pieces, you've obviously got the very, very long conversations you have in cars because. Rockstar no longer wanted you to just drive drive from destination to destination in silence. There are always long conversations. So going to Red Dead Redemption, I haven't played the second one yet, but the first one, a lot of the time I remember spending galloping from place to place while having very long conversations between characters. That, again, kind of lends itself to more... A lot of TV hinges on dialogue between characters, interactions between characters, and that is interaction between characters. Like I, I think... GTA and Red Dead Redemption could work as series, and those would be the big brands to get onto a streaming service. Yeah, but what about God of War, James? First God of War, and then... Well, of course. Okay. Well, as you said, as you said, God of War <laughs> is a given, which I still haven't played, and I apologise. <laughs> That's okay. I would like to see... I'd like to see the original trilogy as an animated series. Cool. That's how I would like God of War to <laughs> manifest itself, as like a, a really, really violent, cartoonishly bombastic That'd animated be, series. Yeah. I'm up for that. <laughs> then you've got you've got all those um those the other properties i'm pretty sure we may have discussed this on a previous show but like things like mass effect mm. like that original trilogy and then stories around that massive of that trilogy so the stuff that went into the novels and the stuff that went into the comic books and all that there is uh, enough 
there is enough content there to make a series. It's basically impossible to get good sci-fi television, though, or well, yes, yeah. kind of sci-fi in general. I don't know. Star Trek of cards out today. So. <laughs> yeah, fair. I suppose. Yeah, maybe maybe things have kind of changed a little bit, but there's been so many just like terrible terrible like sci-fi series and movies that sound promising and you watch it it's like what is this just oh. <laughs> but also, yeah, like, very... games are kind of expanding in terms of what uh, genres and su- subjects they co- uh, they cover so life is strange life is strange is episodic each each oh, series could that. be a series i mean i don't i don't think it yeah. needs to have a series though. that's the thing because like that's a very different type of game for me and like no absolutely but i'd but be I'm, totally but up for that something yeah. Something like a bit. Yeah, no, Life is Strange. Like there, there are comic series. There are comic yeah. series based. So, Life is Strange and Life is Strange Before the Storm revolve around the same characters. Life is Strange Two is completely different characters. My understanding. That's my understanding anyway. Yes, it is. They continued the story of the previous characters in a comic book series. Well, why couldn't they do that in a Netflix mm. or a, a Disney Plus or HBO or whatever that, you know HBO Max or whatever flipping streaming servers are out there. There are. I, I do. I do agree with Rob's point that there are plenty of. There are some games IP that work that could work as a streaming series, a la The Witcher. I just don't think it's the ones based on action, a la The Witcher. Yeah. <laughs> well, seems to have done pretty well for itself, despite that. It does, and I really, really should watch it. But maybe, maybe I finally sign up for a Netflix trial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm now interested in watching some TV or playing some games. So that is all the time we've got for this week. Uh, We'll be back next week with your usual regular news show. In the meantime, you can go back and listen to our previous podcasts on all good podcasting platforms of your choice. And you can get your daily dose of news, insight and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. I mean, that could be a good way for them to... You're right there. No, I got excited by my own point, sorry. I got ex- I got, I'm, choking, I'm choking on sarcasm, I'm sorry. Um. <coughs> Carry on.